0: Uh, we're continuing our, our series on villains, and I'm really thankful to Austin for sharing a great message uh, last week, which uh, was just a really really powerful thought. I'd recommend going back and checking that out. But happy Mother's Day to the moms who are in the room with us. It's awesome to see you, and uh, to those moms who are, are joining us online. Uh, it's a blessing to to pause and to to celebrate you. I think that it is through our moms that that we see the selfless love of Christ, uh, perhaps more more than any other way. So, happy Mother's Day. That's a uh, all the moms, and I know that if you're here for Mother's Day, you're hoping to hear a sermon on Jezebel on Mother's Day, because that makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, and Jezebel is a character in the Old Testament. If you're not uh, too familiar uh, with the story of Jezebel, we're going to talk through a, a bit of her story uh, today. And Jezebel is a lot like Madonna in the way, like she just has one name and you don't even need to know anything else. And you probably have ne- never met anybody named Jezebel, because it's a, one that's like, she's such an evil character that we just somewhat keep her at arm's distance. And unfortunately at times, I think that we can think of her character and one of the ways that I think we can continue to put her at arm's distance is we can use that term, and I wouldn't say that I've ever used this term, but I've heard it used before to describe a controlling woman as a, a Jezebel type person. But I have to tell you that in my time of ministry, I have seen some women who have uh, a lot of control, perhaps in their relationship, and I think that can be damaging, but I think actually just way more in my ministry. I've seen men who have too much control in the relationship. And what happens in any sort of marriage relationship is we submit to each other. That is what we are trying to do. And when there's one side just taking too much power over the other, it's damaging. So I've seen this with both men and women. So one of the ways I think we try to keep it at a distance is we can just think about it in just terms of one thing or another. But in reality, we all struggle with this spirit of control. And I think that's more true than ever. In in our context, in the United States, we arguably are the wealthiest nation in human history. You can debate me on that later if you really want to. But if you are in this room or if you're watching online, it's likely that you're in the top 10% of the world's wealth. In fact, most of us are probably in the top 3%. And I know you've all got bills to pay, we've all got commitments. And when you hear about someone in the news like Bill Gates, sadly this week, you think about someone like that and think, oh, that's, that's real wealth. And so we think about these crazy extreme people and we think about how they should all be passing out their money more. And in reality, like you need to realize that you're rich. So if you didn't know that before today, congratulations, you're rich. Tell somebody next to you, congratulations, uh, you're rich. If you had no idea, because it's likely that you are. And again, I know it's not necessarily what you think of first, but in reality, we have, because of the wealth that we have in our world and the wealth that we enjoy, some issues that others wouldn't. And as the rapper Notorious B.I.G. would say, mo' money, mo' problems. Because when we have, like, more stuff and more things, then there's more stuff and more things to think about. I know for many of us who happen to be in Los Angeles, one of the things that we would say is, my biggest problem is I can't own a home here. I can't own property here. And so we think like that is our biggest issue. But then you talk to people who have homes and you realize how much a home is an issue. There's always something to fix. There's always something going on. So we think that like if we just get to this certain level or whatever it is that we think is gonna make us happy, it's gonna like just result in this unbelievable amount of pure bliss and joy. But then we get that thing And it doesn't. And I think just the way that we live today, with the amount of control that we have just at our fingertips, we have uh, phones, which perhaps you have it hooked up at your home so you can control the temperature in your home, like right now from here. I have an app on my phone that controls the temperature of the room in here. So someday when I'm preaching on hell, I'm just gonna really pipe it up uh, to get you all, like, really thinking about it. You have the ability to check your online banking account, like, right now. You could just stop listening to me and and do that. There's actually stats that show that people spend way more time, like actually it's like way more time banking now than ever before because it's just at your fingertips. It's one more thing to check. We can send really strange gifts to friends. We can order just the right amount of vanilla pumps in our lattes. We end up creating this world. And it's very much to your own desire. You can choose which apps you want to have on your phone. You can choose which apps you don't. And I think there's a subtle message that comes to us as we start to live in this world that we have a lot of control. I have a lot of control over my day. I can just push a button and a lot of stuff happens. But the problem is there's going to be a moment when you realize how not in control you are and we need to be preparing for that moment. And I think we see in the life of Jezebel someone who is just trying to do whatever it takes. She she marries King Ahab and she begins like to try and get the people of Israel to worship Baal, which is another god. So they are worshiping the god of Israel somewhat inconsistently. If you read through Kings, it's just kind of a crazy story. There's a whole lot going on. Again, you should read this sometime. It's very interesting things that are happening. And she wants more and more people to worship this other god, Baal. And so she does whatever it takes. So in First Kings chapter 18, verse 4, it tells us this. While Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves and had given them food and water. So because she wants people to worship Baal, she's like actually going and trying to kill the Lord's prophets. And this ends up in this Amazing scene at Mount Carmel, not Mount Carmel, but Mount Carmel uh, in 1 Kings 18, which is an unbelievable showdown between the God of Baal and the the God of the nation of Israel. And it's something you really should check out. I don't have time to tell the whole story today, but uh, God gets a decisive victory, the God of Israel. And in fact, Elijah at one point mocks the God Baal and basically says, maybe your God's just going to the bathroom or something. I don't know, nothing seems to be happening. And so there's this decisive win that is won by the God of Israel. And what does it do? you would almost expect that Jezebel would be like, all right, you know, I guess I lost. I guess this is the way that we're going. But in fact, it only makes her matter, And it only makes her want to try and kill Elijah more. And I think when we have so much of our lives that are just our way, when we have things like exactly as we would want them to be, like cultured in a way that we would want it to be, we can not listen to these important moments, times in our lives where we have to say, I'm wrong. Hey, you know what? I've been doing this the wrong way. I need to to go in a different direction. But when you have so much control, it's so hard to say those two simple words, I'm wrong. And I know as you're hearing this today, you think of someone who just can't say that. Let's be honest, neither can you. It's hard to say I'm wrong, and I'm going to learn from this. I'm going to change things. I want to make this better because, again, we live in a world where we have so much control. We have group texts, and we have the side group texts about the group texts. Like we have all these things, and we're just kind of creating this, this world that is very much to our liking, and I'm raising my hand on this. I know that I struggle with this just as much, perhaps, as you do. We tell our version of the story, When we think about fake news, we think of whatever news network that we don't like. But you know who creates fake news? All of us. We all can consistently tell a version of the story where we aren't a part of the problem and where we can continue to try and gain more and more control. If you don't think that's true, just try to have an argument with someone online about something. I learned this back in the day, very early on in my fantasy baseball career, which is really nerdy, but I remember that there was these message boards that we used to have in fantasy baseball where you would, like, be arguing about something, a certain rule or something like that, and I remember there were so many times when I, like, wrote the perfect message, and I just thought, there's no way. I showed this guy. And then I would text my other friends and say, hey, like, check out what I just wrote. It's amazing. And then that person would not be like, wow, Brian, what an amazing point. That person would find one little thing in what I said and come back with three paragraphs about it. And I realized very early on in, the, in my internet career, this just isn't worth it. And you've experienced that, probably not in a nerdy world like fantasy baseball, but you've experienced that and social media where you've made like the perfect political post and you can't believe like you finally showed your aunt to like, and then finally, and then like you put it in and then she comes back two minutes later with something. And we have this unbelievable ability to tell these kinds of stories and where we're just creating this world and we just hit click and think, all right, you know, I finally showed him. Is anyone else just exhausted by this? of living in a world where we have to be just the smartest person in the room all the time, where it's just really about us, if we're honest. And this doesn't just happen like outside the church, this definitely happens within the church too. There are many churches that I would say are are more consumeristic type churches where it's just like about showing up and just making you feel as comfortable as possible. And I understand that, and we want to be a church that is a place where people can come and feel comfortable. But at some point, you have to be called to follow a Savior who gave his life away. At some point, at any church, and I hope this happens at our church for you, at some point, you have to realize that this whole thing isn't about you or whatever it is that you want. But ultimately, that's a really healthy place to live. Because you can pretend that you have a sense of control over the world. You can manipulate things and just try to to live in, in a world where you end up perhaps where everyone just sees things exactly like you do, where you just spend time around people who are just like you. But ultimately, that's a terrible place to be. And a story that I think defines Jezebel's life perhaps more than any other is found in First Kings 21 verses 1 through 14. I don't have the words on the screen behind me, but just listen to this story. Sometime later, there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth the Jezreelite. The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Ahab said to Naboth, let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden since it's close to my palace. In exchange, I will give you a better vineyard, or if you prefer, I will pay you whatever it's worth. But Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. So Ahab went home, sullen and angry, because Naboth the Jezreelite had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my ancestors. He lay on his bed, sulking and refused to eat. He's really mature. Uh, His wife Jezebel came in and said, why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? He answered her, because I said to Naboth the Jezreelite, sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I'll give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give give you my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said, is this how you act as king over Israel? Get up and eat. Cheer up. I got you, boo. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, "...placed his seal on them, and sent them to the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth city with him. In those letters she wrote, "...proclaim a day of fasting, and seat Naboth in a prominent place among the people, but seat two scoundrels opposite him, and have them bring charges that he has cursed both God and the king, then take him out and stone him to death." So the elders and nobles lived in Naboth city, and they directed uh, exactly what Jezebel had written to them. They proclaimed a feast and seated Naboth in a prominent place among the people. Then two scoundrels came and sat opposite him and brought charges against Naboth before the people, saying, Naboth has cursed both God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death. Then they sent word to Jezebel. Naboth has been stoned to death. So Ahab is... Interested in this plot of land that's right next to his. And he's a king. He could get whatever it is that he really wants. But he does, I think, the correct thing. He goes, he's a little bit sad about it. He's sulking. And then Jezebel's like, is this how you act as king? We can do whatever we want. And she comes up with this plan. And she carries it out. And this is what I think is so subtle and dangerous for all of us as we think about having more and more manipulation and control in the world. It's easy for us to start to think that our life is a play about us where we're the main characters and everybody else is just a prop. And if you continue to try and get more and more control over your life, then you can end up doing something like this that at the beginning you never would have set out to do. But it's so easy and it's so addicting to continue to try and grab for more control. But the problem is it's never satisfying. Please hear from this story of Jezebel. It's never satisfying. It starts with her trying to to kill the prophets of God, which she should have realized was a mistake. Then God triumphantly wins this victory over the prophets of Baal. And instead of learning from that moment and saying, no, maybe the God of Israel is the one that we should follow, she tries to kill Elijah. And then later, In her life, there's this little guy named Naboth who doesn't want to give a piece of property to the king. So she's like, let's just get rid of him. It's easy when you're grabbing for more and more control in your life to start to just treat other people and other things like props and play about you. But sometimes we need to come face-to-face with what's really going on, to learn a lesson, and to realize the things that are most important to us, the things that are most important to me and you, the health of the people that you love, your own health, like those things that are most sacred and important, you and I have little to no control over. And there's freedom in realizing that. And I think COVID has taught us some of that. We were just going on in our lives were as they were before. And we've had what my wife's coworker called COVID clarity about some things. Like there's some things that we've learned during this time because we just thought the things that we always loved were always gonna be there. The things that we wanted to be part of and those things were stripped away a bit. And we had a chance to think about what truly was most important. And we all recognized we have a little bit less control than we think. There's a, a term, VUCA, um, it's V-U-C-A, and it's a term that is, was started and adapted a lot in, in the military uh, at first, and what it was describing was the, the chaos, basically, of the battlefield. And these uh, abbreviations stand for volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, and the military used this term to describe what it's like to be out in the battlefield because you just don't know what's going to happen next. It's very hard. You don't know. Like one minute things might be going very well, and the next minute it might be going very poorly for you. And this term more and more is being adopted, not just in military circles, but in businesses around the world because life is VUCA. You just don't know. And again, the things that you and I consider most sacred and most important, you just don't know how long you're going to have them. And what's important is that we would recognize this and turn those things over to God. And that doesn't mean you don't like work hard and, and like live for the things that God has given you. You have talents and gifts that you're supposed to give the world. But at some point, what you are living for is giving yourself away and not to manipulate other people. Because what happens if you are trying to like, love your kids through control is they won't feel loved. They'll feel controlled. And if you're trying to manipulate your friends to do this stuff, like, it's the same deal. They won't feel like you're a friend. They'll feel eventually that you're trying to control them. There's an article I read in Psychology Today that said this, many troubles of the mind involve turning away from reality by being preoccupied with the search for another life, a different life, perhaps a better life somewhere else. Psychoanalysts have job security because the only way to have mental health is to turn toward the life you have and to deal with. And as we think about control in our lives and making things a little bit better, as we see Jezebel, who's always just constantly looking for that next thing, we recognize in ourselves how easy it is to not look at the life we really have and to deal with it. And again, I'm preaching to myself way more than you guys today because this is something that, that I struggle with personally. I can't help but think of it more poignantly than at the beginning of COVID, because on March 13th, 2020, it was a Friday, and we decided, we weren't sure, during the morning actually, we had decided to to keep meeting, we weren't sure about the the COVID numbers, but then in the afternoon, on Friday, March 13th, we decided to not have service for, as far as I can tell, the first Sunday in like the 100-year history of our church. Our church turns 100 in 2024, and as far as I can tell, they've never had a Sunday where they didn't meet. And it was the right decision, and I definitely believe that we, we made the right choice. But I remember in that moment just thinking about, like, all the questions. And so we had our first service on March 15th. It was just me preaching go back and see. I'm so thankful for um, the video quality that has gotten way better than it was back then. You can go look at that. It's like, whoa, this, this was rough. Uh, but March, March 15th uh, was, was that service. And the next couple days after that service, my body just shut down. We thought perhaps I had COVID, but I never showed symptoms, ever had a a fever. But Mandy said it's the first time in, in her marriage to me that she's seen me just shut down. So for like two days, I just slept. And luckily, it wasn't COVID. But I think what I was experiencing in that moment was just the overwhelming nature of being a pastor in that moment. And I wouldn't have told you that it was just me that was pulling this off because I would have been very clear that it wasn't that, but like just us coming together and being able to have our worship services together, all the people who are part of it, so many of you are, us going to serve at Ascensia, us serving with Family Promise, all of these things that we were doing that like made us a church, and it felt like, what is that going to look like? And how long are we going to be without this? How are we going to continue this thing? And it was a moment for me as I woke up from my two-day slumber where I realized how much I thought that this church was somehow held together by my poignant sermons, which is not. Yeah, that's a joke, everyone, please. You're like, whoa, geez. Geez, Brian, do a sermon about arrogance next week. That was a joke. <laughs> or how much the church is held together by, by us, you know, gathering to worship. And of course, that is really important. And I'm thankful that we're having that opportunity. But I think for me, what I realized in in that moment of being overwhelmed is how, as a pastor, I didn't really even think God was behind this much at all. It was about our efforts and our doing these things and our gathering together. And again, those things are really important. But it was a moment for me to realize, like, wow. God's got this. And God has been so faithful through all of you through the service of so many people during this time. But one thing that I've heard that's very true about myself at times is they say one problem with Western society is that we don't really think God can do anything at all, if we're actually really honest. You know, Jesus, you can be my co-pilot every once in a while. Take the wheel when I'm about to die. That'd be helpful. But I got this for the rest of the time. We live in a world where we have just so much control. And we need to recognize that most of it, we really can't. Think about what we're celebrating today, Mother's Day, the miracle of birth. I mean, it's like, just think about that for two seconds, it'll blow your mind. The most important things in our world, we have no control Over. I think of the story of Job, who's in the Old Testament, and just this is a really challenging read if you want to read it. Job loses everything. He loses family. He loses basically his standing in his society. He has boils on his arms. He just loses everything. And I was doing some reading this week, and the 1800s preacher. Jonathan Edwards said this about Job. Every single one of us is living Job's story. It's just that most of us are experiencing it much more slowly. This is true. Hopefully, you'll never have to experience losing a kid. That would be terrible. So Job did experience that, and not everybody's going to experience that. But eventually, you will be separated from your kids. You will experience your body giving out on you. You'll lose all the stuff you have. And what's important for us all is to just live a bit in that reality and to turn toward it and not away from it. To recognize that, yeah, I, I don't have control over some of this stuff. And God, I'm going to turn it over to you because it's exhausting to live like I really do hold it all together. I learned that at the beginning of COVID. May we continue to live that out all the time. Because in Jezebel's story, as she gains more and more control it really doesn't satisfy you. And let me just tell you that Jezebel is going to have way more power and control than you or I ever will. She's a queen. So I guess if maybe one of you out of 100 or so, if one of you is able to like do this, or those of you who are joining us online, like if, if one of you is able to pull it off and become like some really important person, then perhaps you'd have more power than Jezebel. Perhaps. It's likely that none of us will have as much power or control as she does. And ultimately for her, it doesn't make her happy. So may we experience the joy of releasing the things that are most important to God and to saying daily, God, I trust you with this stuff. And I'm not going to spend my life just fighting for a control that I don't really have. So I want you, as we sing this next song, to just think about something that you need to turn over to God in this moment. What's something that you've been holding on to that you need to, to live with more open hands? I love how Philippians 2 talks about the ministry of Jesus. It talks about how as Jesus lived, he had the ability to have all of this power and dominion, but he lived with open hands. May we live with open hands, trusting our God, the one who we really need to be in control. Let's pray together. God, we turn over the things that are truly most important to you right now. We pray that we would fight that urge that we have to just control things and to get ahead of things and to always be right. Father, may we live with open hands not grabbing for control, but recognizing that we need to trust our lives with you. May we, as we worship in this next song, just surrender our hearts again and to say, God, we we give this over to you in this moment. Your son, Jesus, name I pray, amen.